My name is Travis. I'm the campus pastor at New Life Wilsonville. I'm very glad that I get to be here with you this morning and that you are all here. What a joy this is, this celebration of Pentecost. What a better way to celebrate than, than all together in uh, multiple congregations with multiple languages. And uh, just hearing the way that the Lord's Prayer comes out in various languages, it just highlights for me that one day all of the curse will be undone. All of the division that sin has caused uh, between people and God and between people and one another that works its way out in uh, misunderstandings, it works its way out in cultural differences that people don't understand one another and all kinds of different divisions. One day all of that is going to be done away with and we will all worship God in spirit and truth uh, together. And this is a great foretaste of that, but we are still here, right? That's not yet our present reality. That's a future reality. Not just a future hope, it's a future reality. We know it is coming. We just don't get to experience it fully just yet. And so right now what we're dealing with is the consequences of sin in the world, and so if you've had an opportunity to be at one of the New Life campuses over the last several weeks, we have been in Matthew chapter 18, and we've been talking about sin and the problems of sin. So we talked first about the danger of being one who leads someone else into sin. Then we talked about the need for God to restore each one of us who are sinners. Then we talked about the need for us to uh, restore others who have sinned, both to relationship with God and with back into relationship with his church. And now we have to deal with what do we do with people who have sinned against us. And so if you would uh, turn in your Bibles, the, I've been told that the, the verses cannot be on the screen today. So you're going to have to pull out paper Bibles or a, a device with a Bible application on it which I'm hoping that, that most of you who have a device have a Bible application on it, and you can uh, pull up Matthew chapter 18. And we are going to be starting today uh, in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Seventy-seven times. Now, if you, were, if you uh, read the verses previous to this, we were talking about what to do if your brother sins against you, right? We, Jesus told a parable about a lost sheep who had gone astray and how God's heart for those sheep who have gone astray, his people who have wandered off into sin, his heart for them is that he as a good shepherd would go and find them and bring them back and bring them back into the flock that he would restore them. That's God's heart for them. And so then he told his disciples, he said in verse 15 of Matthew 18, now if your brother sins against you, Go, tell him his fault, just between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you will have gained your brother. If you go, if you see somebody who has, has sinned against you, they have offended you, hurt you in some way, and you go and, and point out their sin to them, and they repent, and re then you have won back your brother. You've run, won back your sibling, your brother or sister in Christ. You've won them back. 
And so that's what Jesus has told his disciples. This is what you should do. If you see somebody who's straying, who's wandering off in sin, you should go and and confront them with that. Do it gently, do it humbly, meekly, but go find them and restore them and say, hey, I see the sin in your life and we need to repent of this so that you can be restored to relationship with God and so that you can come back into relationship with God's people. That's what Jesus has told his disciples to do. And so Peter goes, okay, I'm listening. I'm hearing you. And I understand, I understand that when my brother or sister wanders off into sin, that there is a, their wandering soul is in danger of death. Their wandering soul is in danger of death because of their sin. And so I should restore them. I should help them back. I should confront them with their sin so that they can be restored. But if they have sinned against me, that hurts, Jesus. That hurts. And I know the saying, fool me once or hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. Hurt me seven times, and I must be very compassionate and forgiving. I must be a very gracious person. If, I, if you have hurt me seven times, you have sinned against me seven times, and I have forgiven you of that sin seven times, I must be a very patient and gracious person. And so Peter says, okay, Jesus, okay, I've heard, I've heard you, and I've heard you talk about how if my brother is wandering off in sin, then I should restore them and restore them into relationship. But Jesus, if that wandering sheep, if that wandering sheep gets lost, and I go and I help find him, and I help bring him back, and then that silly, ridiculous sheep wanders off again, and I go and I find him, and I bring him back, and then that ridiculous sheep wanders off again, and I go and I find him, and I bring him back, and this happens seven times, at what point, Jesus, do I just call it good? Because that stubborn, ridiculous sheep is determined to wander off. And that stupid, ridiculous sheep is hurting me. Let's not just pretend that if they sin against me that there's no pain here. Let's not just pretend that that was some kind of debt that they owe somewhere, someone, and I can go just encourage them to get out of their debt. No, their debt is owed to me. It's causing me direct pain. And so, Jesus, how much do I have to forgive them? How often do I have to forgive them? Seven times? That'd be a lot, wouldn't it? But it's a, it's a nice, perfect number, seven, and so that's, that's, that's be good, right? Seven would be good. And Jesus' response to him in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, Every time. Every single time. 
Now, some of you may have siblings, right? We're talking about a brother or sister wandering off into sin. Some of you have siblings, and you know that to forgive your brother or sister seven times may not get you through the end of the day. And so while it feels generous from our perspective, we realize that it isn't sufficient And Jesus wants to point out, no, Peter, you thought it was hard. You thought I was going to ask a lot of you, and so you guessed big, and it wasn't even close to big enough. It wasn't even close. I tell you, 77 times, every single time they sin against you, every single time they hurt you, I want you to go and bring them back and forgive them. Jesus, that is a big ask. That's a big ask. Because I've been hurt. You've given me a heavy burden, Jesus. Because if they're going to hurt me over and over and over again, and I'm going to forgive them over and over and over again, that is a lot. And you are asking a lot of me, Jesus. And do you know what I love about Jesus? Jesus doesn't just give a heavy burden. He doesn't just say, this is the requirement. This is what I'm expecting of you. He says, I'm going to give you this thing that sounds impossible, like you couldn't possibly do it, and it sounds like this huge burden, this huge responsibility for you to bear, and I'm going to then convince you that you want to do it, I'm not just going to tell you that you have to do it. I'm going to tell you why. And when I'm done telling you why, you're going to go, sign me up. And I can tell that there might be some people here who are going, wait, wait, wait. I'm connecting some dots here. You're going to start applying this to me, and I'm going to have to start forgiving the person that's already in my mind that I can think of that has been offending and sinning against me, and you're going to tell me that I have to forgive them over and over again, but Travis, you don't know all the hurt that they've caused me. And so why don't we turn together and look at what Jesus' story is, because he's going to give us an illustration to help us to understand not just that we should, but why we should, so that we get the want to. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So Jesus starts to tell a story about someone who had gotten in debt, into debt, this servant of the king. Maybe he, was, maybe he was a steward of the money. He was the investor of some kind. And he had been given a significant amount of money, 10,000 talents, and he was managing that money and he lost it. 
Maybe he just lost it. Maybe he made some really poor investment decisions, but whatever the case, when he comes in to give an accounting for the deficiency and how much debt he owes, what he, the master says, okay, everybody come in. Everybody tell me what, what do you owe? Where, where, where are we at? Are you ahead in the books? Are you behind in the books? And he comes in and he says, oh, I'm a little behind. Yeah, how far behind are you? Couple of talents. Couple of talents? How many talents? 10,000 talents? Let me, I, I can see that several of you do not uh, register what 10,000 talents is. Let me, let me give you a little bit of context. The U.S. national budget for 2022 was approximately $6.5 trillion. They brought in about $5 trillion in 2022. 10,000 talents would be equivalent to about double the nation's national budget, annual budget. This was equivalent to about uh, 200,000 times an individual's average annual income. So if you were to work for a year, your income for that year plus the next 199,999 years would equal that total, which actually about... 10 or 12 trillion dollars, that's about the same. So when he comes in and he says, I've lost a talent, actually 10,000 talents, what he's saying is, I've lost about 10 trillion dollars. Maybe a little more. And the master, the king, is um, understandably perturbed. Because I think that by most measures, that's a lot of money. And so he's angry and he says, okay, here's the consequence for losing that much money. You owe me a lot of money and so I'm going to throw you and your wife and your kids in jail and you're going to make payments. And he falls on his knees and he begs and he says, please, please be patient with me and I will pay it all back. Just, I just need a little more time. And some of you in this room may think that even with a little bit more time, you might not be able to pay off 10 or 12 trillion dollars. And I think the same was the case here. So here he is on his knees begging, please, please be patient with me. I just need a little bit more time and then I will pay it all back. And the master, the king, has compassion on his servant. And out of pity for him... In verse 27, it says, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. What? Coolest king ever. Let's recap what just happened. Servant comes in to give an accounting of the books. He says, I owe you 10,000 talents. The king says, that's bad. I'm going to throw you into jail. He says, please be patient with me. The master says, you know what? 
I love you, I have compassion on you, let's just, let's just take it away. You don't owe anything. A moment ago, he came walking in knowing he was going to have to confess this huge debt that he had, knowing that he, there was no way he could possibly repay it, but hoping that with a little bit more time, somehow he was going to finagle something to make this happen, and at least he'd buy himself a little bit more time before being sent to prison. And instead, what happens is the king says, I'm going to erase the whole debt. What's 10 or 12, 12 trillion dollars between friends? I'm just going to erase the whole thing. Incredibly gracious, incredibly generous, incredibly merciful. You know what? I changed my mind. You're not going to go to jail. I'm going to send you away free. You don't owe anything. Now, what would you expect from that servant? Wouldn't you expect he'd be doing a dance? He'd come out of the king's presence high on life. So excited, so joyful. I've been set free to rack up that much debt and to have it hanging over your head for that long. You would just be weighed down day after day after day after day knowing, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't repay it. I can't. And then to go in and have the whole thing forgiven, completely unexpected. And now you would expect that this servant would go out and he'd just be dancing. He'd be high-fiving everybody as he walks down the street as if his team had just won the, the championship or something. We're going to go have a parade. You know, good. Yes. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, not a different servant, just want to make that clear. This is the same servant. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now I'll just jump to the question that all of you have in your mind. How much is a denarii? Because this fellow servant owes him about 100 denarii. So a, hundred, a denarii is about a day's wage. A hundred denarii is about a hundred days' wages. So we're talking about somewhere around uh, $20,000. One talent, one talent was about 6,000 denarii. Okay, so that, that's what we're talking about here. So here's a guy. He finds his fellow servant who owes him $20,000. 100 denarii. Now, I think by most accounts, $20,000 is a lot of money. 
A hundred denarii would have been a lot of money. We're not talking about an insignificant debt. Okay? We're not talking about, you forgot to pay me my five bucks back. Remember how I loaned you five bucks for pizza and then you didn't give me five bucks back? Remember how we went in on Cindy's gift together and you never paid me back for your portion of Cindy's gift? We're not talking about that. We're talking about $20,000. This, this servant, this first servant, has a right to be a little bit upset about this $20,000 debt that the second servant hasn't been paying him back. But the parallels here are obvious. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, he's going out, right? The, he had gone into the presence of the king to account to make account for how much he owed, and now he's going out from the presence of the king, and he finds this other servant as he's going out, and he goes, hey, you owe me money. You owe me money. And the second servant has the same response as the first. The first one had fallen down on his knees and pleaded and begged, please be patient with me, give me a little bit more time, and I will pay you back everything that I owe. But this servant then goes out and he grabs his his fellow servant, and he chokes him, and he says, pay me back what you owe. And the fellow servant falls down and pleads with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And this second, or this first servant, that same one who had his debt re released, refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. When the fellow servants saw what had happened, they, they went, wait a second. He just threw him in prison? He just threw him in prison after he had $10 trillion expunged? Then he went out and he found this guy and he threw him in prison? And it says that they were greatly distressed, very bothered. And there are times when you might see something that's happening around you. You might see an interplay between two people, maybe in the church, two other people, and you see something going on and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't like that. Or you might see something between family members or something else that's going on in the world or in the community around you, and you see that and you say, whoa, I don't like that. That really bothers me. I'm greatly distressed about this. And then what are you going to do there in that circumstance? What did they do? They could have gone right up to him and gone, hey, buddy, what are you doing? That's not okay. But they went, oh, we got to tell the master. We got to tell the master. 
And I hope that for you and for me, that our first response, when we see something that we don't like, when we see something that greatly disturbs us, our first response is, I gotta tell the master. I've gotta tell the king of the universe about this. I gotta tell the king of the universe about this. He's definitely gonna want to know. Do you remember just a few verses ago, it talked about how that the angels were always in the presence of the Lord, making known the status of his people. And you have a role to play in that. When you see something that isn't good in the world or in the community, you bring it to the Lord in prayer and you say, God, you need to know that this is not okay. I am significantly bothered by this. That's the right place to go. Because what are you going to do about it? Right? The first servant is choking the second service and saying, servant and saying, uh, pay me what you owe. What are you going to do? Jump in? No, no, break it up, boys. Choke him back. You're being ridiculous. Don't you know what just happened for you? Shouldn't you be nice too? Nope, they just go straight to where it matters most. They just go straight to the master. And they report all that had taken place. And this is what the master does. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't you have had mercy also? Don't we remember that in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus is preaching uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount and going through the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And he's already received mercy, so shouldn't he therefore be merciful? Doesn't it work the other way around too? Don't we remember in the Lord's Prayer, now we all have already heard the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to read it for you again, and then we're going to read the verses that come right after it in Matthew. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus has already set up the expectation. He's already set up the expectation in the Sermon on the Mount. It should come as no surprise that we should forgive them over and over again. That if someone sins against us, then we should forgive them. That's what is to be expected. Now, within the community of Christ, there are all kinds of different sins, There are all kinds of different ways that people might sin against us and hurt us. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it gives just a a few examples. 
It says in Galatians 5, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we had talked a couple of weeks ago about how when we see people in sin, we should go and we should find them and help them to be restored, right? Because when they've wandered into these things, into these fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and strife and envy and jealousy and lust... then their wandering souls are headed for death and it is on us to go and see, can we win them back? Can we come alongside them and point out their faults and say, hey, this is sin that needs to be repented of. And I'm not here to tell you how awful you are or to judge you, but I'm here to remind you about who God is, our holy and gracious God, and that if you repent, he will restore you to relationship with him. But sometimes, they didn't just wander off. They wandered right into our yard. They wandered right into our house and inflicted pain on us. Their sin was directed at us. It caused us real pain, real hurt. It's not trivial. It's not meaningless. We don't just shrug it off and go, whatevs, no big deal. No, we recognize that when people in the community of Christ injure us, it hurts. And yet our desire is for them to be restored to relationship with God. And our desire is that they might be restored to relationship with God's church, with his community of believers. And when our perspective is, look at how much they owe, that's a hard thing to do. When I'm looking at the debt that they have racked up with me, it is a hard thing to forgive them and have their best interest in mind and say, I want to win you back for Jesus because I'm looking at all the pain that it's caused me. And I want to acknowledge here today that that pain is real and that pain can be significant. But I also want to acknowledge that our tendency is to downplay our own sin and our own debts. And when we minimize our own debts, our own sin issues, then the sin issues in others look very great. I wonder if sometimes we think that our sin is insignificant 
And we think that um, in the main, we're probably pretty good. You know, you've played on a, a team of some kind before and you don't do everything right. Sometimes you make mistakes. But in the main, you're helping the team win, right? You're not detrimental. I think that sometimes in life we feel like that's how we are as individuals, that in the main, we're pretty good. In the main, we're helping God, really. I mean, I'm in His church. I'm one of His preachers, for crying out loud. Certainly, I've got to be helping God along in His mission in the world. And we maximize the good that we do, and we minimize the sin in our lives, and we think that probably it's not that big of a deal. When in actuality, when you have sin in your life, it is an affront to God. The sin in your life is causing a great debt between you and God. Every time that you do not acknowledge him as Lord in your word and acts and attitude... You are not giving him the glory that he deserves. And the wages for sin is death. And so the reality is, while we think that our debt to the Lord is trivial, we have wrecked our lives with sin. We have wrecked and ruined our lives with sin. If an, uh, an insurance adjuster were to come in and evaluate your life and say, okay, let's see, what's the damage that sin has done here? They would go, oh, you're totaled. You're totaled. I can remember several years ago, my cousin lives uh, on a country road, right on the bend of a country road. So the speed limits on that road are relatively high, 50 miles an hour, and there's a bend in the road right there that points at their house. And sometimes people are going faster than 50 miles an hour on that road, and one night there was a big boom as a car had missed that curve and gone straight into their house. And it smacked the house and it knocked the house off of its foundation. It moved the house two or three feet back. And when the, auto, when the insurance adjuster came out, he went and he said, your house is totaled. I'd never heard of that before. You can total a house? The damage is greater than the value that the house is worth. The damage that you have done through your sin in your own life has totaled you. It's wrecked and ruined you. If you thought, well, I've done some bad things so far, but maybe with the rest of my life, I can earn enough that I can pay this off. Do you remember how much 10 or 12 trillion dollars is? You could work for a whole lifetime, perfectly, for an entire lifetime, 2,000 times. 
and still not pay the debt that you owe. The sin in your life has wrecked and ruined you. Your life, spiritually speaking, from a human perspective, it's totaled. There is no way that in this lifetime or the next lifetime or in a 2,000 lifetimes that you would be able to pay off all of the sin in your life. That is the debt that you owe to God. And so that means that when we wander into the presence of God, we wander in with great humility and in fear and trembling to go before him and say, God, I'm going to give you an account and it's not good. And God is that gracious king. He's that gracious king that when we come and we plead with him and we say, God, I can't pay the debt. His response is, my son has paid it. I know you can't pay it. I know that if you were perfect for the rest of your life, you couldn't pay it. I know that if you were perfect for a whole nother life after that, you couldn't pay it. But my son is perfect, and he has paid your debt. And so I have removed your sin, and I'm letting you go free. So when we find ourselves in the position where someone is sinning against us and we recognize the pain that that debt of sin is causing in our lives, we can total it up and we can hang on to it. And I think that from a human perspective, we have every right to go to them and choke them and say, this is what you owe, pay up. You have hurt me, you have injured me, it is not right, and you owe me. But from a spiritual perspective, recognizing the debt that we have already had forgiven, we can say, God, would you help me to forgive them? You see, sin is a problem. It causes a problem between us and God, and it causes a problem between us and others. And it happens even within the church, within the Christian community. We're working on it. This is a gracious place. I'm hoping that you will find it to be a merciful and welcoming place, but we are not yet perfect. And even in this context, we hurt one another. But also in this context, we each recognize the debt that has been forgiven for us. And so I am hoping that we can quickly reconcile and bring to each other, right? This is not just, you, you just pretend it never happened. He, he, this is the context here is that you would go and point out their sin so that they might be restored, 
We're still doing that, right? We don't ignore it. We don't minimize it. We don't belittle the sin. We point it out, but then we forgive so that there can be restoration. That's what we're going for here. Because verse 34 says this. Well, let me back up because it's been a little while since we were there. The master, verse 32, his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Those who are merciful will receive mercy. And for those of us who already know that God has been gracious and merciful with us, to forgive us the total of our debt in sin, how much more should we then forgive those who wrong us? And so you see Peter going, Jesus, this is a big ask. And Jesus says, yeah? It's asking a lot of you, is it? Let me tell you what I'm already doing for you. So when you find yourself in that place where you're going, oh, I am holding on to this debt that they owe me. And I keep coming back to it. And I keep pulling it up and looking at it and circling it and evaluating it and wondering if they're ever going to pay this back. You should acknowledge the debt and then forgive it. And when we do that, what an awesome community this will be. Lord God, we recognize that this is beyond our capabilities. That when we experience the pain and when we experience the debt that people have racked up against us, it is hard to let that go. And so, Lord, we ask Would you forgive us? Would you help us to see our sin as it really is and not as we wish it were? Would you help us to see the generosity that you have given to us through Jesus? Would you help us to see the great debt that you have erased because of your mercy and compassion? And then, Lord, would you help us to tell others of the hope that we have in Jesus 
that they might experience the same freedoms. And would you equip and enable us to release them from the debt that they owe us as well. And we ask for your help in this by the work of your Spirit and in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior.